Morning. You guys ready to finish Hebrews? Yeah? Some? Yeah? No? Maybe? Okay. I know. It's kind of a mix. You don't know if you're supposed to be celebrating or not. Like, is, is this a trap? Is he tricking me right now? Um, no, we've been in Hebrews for, this is our ninth week, and I've really enjoyed this uh, journey a lot going through this with you guys and, and learning together. And um, next week, we'll move on to something new, um, starting a series called From Acts 1-8 to Church and State. And uh, I'll let you guess what that might be about. Very timely. Um, it's going to be good. No fireworks, I don't think. We'll see. Uh, but today, as we wrap up Hebrews, I just want to give a reminder uh, what this letter is about and why it's important that we're studying it together. Um, this was written to a group of Jewish Christians living in Italy in the first century, uh, and they were paying a really high cost for following Jesus. When you, when you move in the direction of Jesus-centered living, it puts you in conflict with your culture, and that's what they were experiencing, and that conflict was painful. And it was so difficult that many of them were letting go of Jesus and reverting back to Judaism, which was comfortable and familiar for them, but also inadequate and incomplete. And so the preacher here, I believe this is a preacher writing this sermon to this group of people is saying, I know it's hard, but you got to hold on to Jesus. You got to hold on. Jesus is the only one who can bring healing and wholeness to this world. He's the only one who can give us hope for something better. He's the only one who gives you a shot at peace and joy in your life. So don't give up on Jesus. I know it's hard, but you got to hold on. That's what this whole book has been about. And we've seen a lot of teaching through this about how Jesus is superior to the old covenant and the reasons why we should hold on to Jesus. And as we wrap up here, what we're gonna see are a lot of instructions. And I believe what the preacher is, is doing, I believe his heart for these people is to see them finish well. He's writing to the ones who have held on, who, who, who are still following Jesus despite the pain. And I believe his heart for them is to see them finish well. Do you ever think about finishing well? Maybe you're at an age, when you're young, you think, what? that's way down the road. I don't, I don't need to think about finishing. I'm just getting started, right? And then the older you get, and the definition of old changes, doesn't it, as you age? It's like old doesn't mean what it used to mean, you know? 45 used to be old. 45 is young, guys. It's like, and the, the, the more birthdays we have, the more we start to think about how we've, we finish. I think we should anyway. I mean, it's easy to think, well, I'll just do the best I can and it ends however it ends. I mean, that's one approach, I guess. But here's, here's what's true, whether we acknowledge it or not, is, is you are leaving a legacy for the people in your life, the people that come behind you, your friends, your children, your grandchildren, great-grandchildren, you are leaving a legacy, whether it's one that you're leaving on purpose or not. Now, that's the question. Whether it's one that's gonna be a positive influence in their life or not, that's, that's a question. And it's a choice. And one of the ways I think we can be encouraged to finish well is by looking at the lives of people that we know who have finished well. And we have had the misfortune in our church family to see many of our family members pass away in the last couple years. People that I wasn't ready for them to go. <laughs> I wasn't ready for them to be finished. 
But people, I think, just finished well. I think of Dave Gillum. Man, that guy, I was not ready for him to finish, but man, he finished well. I think of Tom Warner. I wasn't ready, but he finished well. I think of Jim and Kathy Doyle a lot. Maybe if you're new, you didn't know Jim and Kathy. When, when I moved here um, in 2015, Kathy had already been diagnosed with uh, an aggressive cancer. Uh, she had already chosen not to have treatment. And she lived with so much joy. You guys remember that? Those of you who knew her. And we sat in her living room. She and Jim and I, be patient with me. I'll get through this. And she was telling me what she wanted her funeral to look like. And I don't think she had any idea that this room was gonna be busting at the seams, but it was. But she knew what she wanted to happen. And she had it all laid out. And I just asked her, Kathy, what can I do to help? And she said, Adam, just preach the gospel. A few years later, just last year actually, I ran into Jim Doyle in the cafe on a Sunday morning and he was just sitting by himself. Um, and so I said, hey Jim, uh, what, what's, what, what you been up to? Because I knew that Jim stayed pretty active in his community. He was discipling people. He was meeting with groups. So I said, what you up to these days, Jim? And he said, I'm just waiting for God to show me what's next. Three weeks later, we had his funeral. He had no idea that what was next was his finish line. But man, he finished well. I want to be like Tom Warner. I want to be like Dave Gillum. I want to be like Jim and Kathy Doyle. And I want you to also. What, what does it take to finish well? How do we get there? I'm sorry for creating this emotional moment where we're all like crying right now. So, um, not sorry, actually. Because I think this is the heart of the preacher in this letter. He wants to see these faithful followers who have been through so much, he just wants to see them finish well. So these last two chapters are full of instructions. What we might look at, and sometimes maybe this is how you were taught to look at the instruction portions in the New Testament as a list of do's and don'ts. Oh, this is what, here we go. This is what Christianity is all about is do this, don't do that. God just wants to control my life. I don't believe that's the intent of any of these authors of the Holy Spirit as he communicates these instructions to us. I think the intent is to paint a picture of what life in the kingdom is supposed to look like. When you find these lists of instructions, especially if you look at Paul's letters, Ephesians and Colossians and Galatians, where do the list of instructions come in? It's at the end, towards the end. It's after Paul has already laid out the good news. You are so loved and you have been saved by grace through faith. Now let me show you what normal life in the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. And that's what the writer is doing here. He's saying, look, look, you guys know, Jesus is better than the old covenant. Jesus is superior. Jesus is where it's at. Let's hold on tight to Jesus. Let me show you what that looks like. And so as we go through these instructions, and we're gonna go through this fairly quickly, there's like 11, I think, we're gonna identify. So I would encourage you to jot, take some notes down as we go through this. 
Um, it's more than we can just process in this moment, and so I, I just want to acknowledge that. But what, what I want you to see is the picture of, uh, of the life of the kingdom that the, the preacher is painting for us here. What's supposed to be normal in the kingdom of God. So let's start with uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And uh, remember, if you see anything underlined on the screen, I encourage you to read that out loud with us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. So the writer gives us this image of a race, running a race, and he's the implication here is like, you, you run to the end, right? You don't stop before the finish line. And, and if you guys have ever been in a race or you watch races, you know that actually the opposite of that, you don't even slow down when you approach the finish line. What do you do when you see the finish line? Speed up. You speed up. You go 110%. You give it all you have and more. You want to get to that finish line and be completely wiped out. Everything you had. That's what he's saying. We want, I want you to finish strong. I want you to sprint to the end. How do you do that? How do you, where do you find the, the courage, the energy, the inspiration to sprint to the end? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus sprinted to the end, didn't he? I mean, if you read through the gospels, how much of the gospels are taken up by the last week of Jesus's life? There's so much happening of significance in those last six, seven days. He sprinted to the end. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And, and this is what it looks like to fix your eyes on Jesus. And he's gonna give some instructions here. So let's go through these. Uh, let's skip down to verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Yeah, like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, even when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. So these, these two lines that you uh, repeated or read have this phrase, see to it. See to it that no one. And the encouragement here is to take responsibility for each other. That this is not just about you, but this is about you encouraging each other to live out this life that's supposed to be normal in the kingdom. But since it's so abnormal outside of the kingdom of God, it's going to be really difficult and you need each other's help. And I think he points to Esau here and says, uh, Esau had a brother, a younger brother named Jacob, and Jacob wanted um, Esau's inheritance. And so he tricked him in a moment when he was vulnerable, when he was hungry, and sold him a meal for his inheritance. And we go, how did he do that? That seems so short-sighted. That seems so, like, dumb, right? On the, sur on the surface. And maybe, it, maybe it was. But I think what the Hebrews writer wants us to acknowledge is that Esau didn't have anybody there to tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, buddy, let's think about this for a minute. <laughs> Are you sure 
This is what you want to do? Are you sure this is how much you value your inheritance, that you're willing to trade it for a meal? I know you're hungry, man. I know. But could we possibly eat later? Could we go? Could we run to McDonald's after this? Like, is there, is this really the wise thing to do? Are you going to trade everything for this meal? Man, I think that's, we need each other when it comes to the things he's talking about, that no one falls short of God, that no bitter root grows up, that no sexual immorality runs rampant, that we need people to tap us on the shoulder and say, hey, man, are you, are you sure this is, this is God honoring? This is, this is the choice that you really want to make right now? How often have you and I traded what we wanted really most for what we wanted in a moment? Vindication, satisfaction. And I'm so grateful for the times when I've had somebody tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, like, I, I don't think that's what you want to do. We need each other. This is the part that a lot of people don't like about Christianity. Um, I, I really just want, I think it should be private. It's just me and God. It's just about how I follow God. And I don't, it's really none of your business. Well, that's not the way Jesus set this up to work. It is your business how I live my life because we're brothers and sisters. We're part of the same family. We need each other. And it's, it's, it's up to me in humility to make it your business how I live. That's uncomfortable. Let's just acknowledge that. But if that's the path to freedom, if that's the path to being the people that God created us to be, and to avoiding these, these things where we don't have bitterness grow up and, and sexual immorality destroying lives and like, well, let's, let's go. If that's the path, let's do it. Watch out for one another. Let's continue. Verse 28 and 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken... For our God is a consuming fire. I love that in the middle of these instructions on what the life in the kingdom is supposed to look like, we're pointed back to remember who God is. We can find so many things to complain about, right? Just think of over the last couple hours. That, I mean, some of us have a short memory. You can do that. Have you complained about anything in the last couple hours? Chances are you have. Chances are you're doing it right now. Like, is this guy going to, how long is he going to go? Like, what, what is going on here? But most of the things we complain about, even the things we have legitimate complaints about, like, God, this is painful and this hurts. Even those things are temporary. They'll pass away. But our God established an unshakable kingdom that will never pass away. And the good things that he is creating and the healing and wholeness that he's bringing is forever. So worship him with reverence and awe. He's not Santa Claus. He's not your buddy. He is a consuming fire. He brings warmth and light to those who honor him. And he can burn you up. I love that that's right here in the middle of these instructions. Let's not forget, this is not a list of do's and don'ts. This is, this is a reflection of the nature and character of God we've been called to bring to the world. And in the middle of all of that, we worship. So be thankful and worship reverently. Bless you. Uh, chapter 13, verse one. 
Are you ready? As brothers and sisters. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So the instructions here are to love well, to love each other like brothers and sisters. So I don't know how, you, how your family functioned when you were younger, but if I loved you like I loved my brothers and sisters when I was living with them in my house, this would be dysfunctional uh, nonstop, right? So what he's talking about is we've we got to kind of rise above that, you know, how we treat our earthly brothers and sisters sometimes, and we've got to recognize the kingdom mentality here, that you're my brothers and sisters in Christ, that we have this thing in common, that we are all bought with the blood of Jesus and adopted into his family. It's, it's this mentality that when I look around here, I see people who are being passionately pursued by their creator. I see people who are so loved by God that he is showing up in your lives in ways you don't even know to bless you and bring good things. I see people who without deserving an ounce of Jesus's blood, got it all because he loves you. If that's how God sees you and loves you, how should I see you and love you? Love each other well. You're part of the same family. You're united by the blood of Jesus and show hospitality. This is one where a lot of us, we kind of go, yeah, got that. That's no problem. I love to have people in my home. My friends come over. We have dinner together. We go out. We, like, I'm good with that. But what he says is, show hospitality to strangers. Well, that's a little more uncomfortable, right? We were taught a little rhyming phrase when we were children about strangers. What is it? Stranger danger, right? We're not supposed to interact with people we don't know as children. Let me, that's a good thing to teach your children. Please understand that. But what should be normal in the life of people in the kingdom of God is that we are looking for people who are different from us, who are not like us, who are not in the family, and we're showing hospitality to them. I, th- I think of Matthew and Angelica um, hosting a refugee from Ukraine in their home because they read this and they believe this is, this is who we are. This is who God is, so it's, it's who we should be. So are you showing hospitality to strangers? That, that's a challenge. Maybe that's something you put a little star by. Let's come back to later. Let's look at chapter 13, verse three. As if you were together with them in prison. As if you yourselves were suffering. So here, remember the imprisoned and the mistreated. And this was, would have been very personal for a lot of these people. They would have had friends and family members, and maybe some of them themselves had been imprisoned at some point. And so this idea of remembering those in prison, well, it would have been personal for them. And they would have known, like, yeah, I, I know people who have been imprisoned because they confess Christ and are trying to live a Jesus-centered life. But I don't think we're limited to that when we're encouraged to remember those in prison. Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 25 that when the sheep and goats are separated, he's gonna look at the ones on his right and say, I was hungry and you fed me. I was sick and you comforted me. I was in prison and you visited me. 
I'm so glad to be in, in a, we have a county system, a chaplaincy program in our prison system in Hamilton County that's, that's very widespread, a lot of people involved in that, it's, it's beautiful. But I don't think this is limited just to prison chaplains. I think we're all called to remember those who have been imprisoned and mistreated by people with power, people with false motives, and to find a way to meet their needs. Uh, Let's continue. Uh, Verse four. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money. And because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So uh, it's interesting, these two subjects come together here. Honor marriage and be uh, content with your financial situation. I think when we hear stories of people who have had a moral failure, particularly church leaders, now we just talk about that. I mean, we we hear stories all the time of church leaders who um, fail and fall in such a way that disqualifies them or removes them from leadership. What are the two most common reasons behind that? The two most common sins, sexual immorality, financial dishonesty. Those, Those are at the heart of a lot of those stories. Why? Why is it that way? Why are these put together here in this passage that way? I think these two temptations attack our hearts in a particularly aggressive way. Identifying us as the center of the universe and we should be able to get what we want when it comes to our sexuality and our financial goals. And that's that's a very addictive sort of mentality. Once I start down that road, I'm going to get what I want regardless of the consequences. So much destruction and brokenness that happens. And some of you have experienced that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You got some of that in your history. Thank God for grace, right? Thank God for forgiveness. Thank God that he can heal what's broken. But man, he just, you got to watch out for these things. So honor marriage. Be content with your financial situation. All right, let's wrap up with these last uh, few verses here. Um, Verse seven. Who spoke the word of God to you, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. we are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. So he wraps up this by encouraging them to honor their leaders, to remember them and pray for them and even to submit to them. This is a little awkward for me to talk about because I am a leader, (laughs) but I'm just gonna try to preach what's what's here in the text. So if you think about what, uh, what it have been like for the church leaders in a place where being a Christian was at least unpopular and possibly illegal, There were people who were actively looking to round up Christians and put them in jail, to to look to end Christianity or get it out of their communities. Who are they going after? If your job is to figure out how to stop Christianity, who are you looking for? The leaders. You're looking for the leaders. Because if you can stop the leaders, I mean, it seems to follow that maybe you could stop this whole thing. So the leaders were under a great deal of pressure. 
There, there are people who are following a calling. And in doing so, we're laying their lives on the line for their brothers and sisters. And today, does the church have an enemy? Absolutely. The enemy of God, Satan, who wants to disrupt the things of God. If Satan wanted to bring down a church, who's he going after? The leaders. I mean, we've seen it happen. Church is brought down. Leaders are under a great deal of pressure. I mean, they, they, they stand on the front lines on behalf of the people. And this is just an encouragement to just acknowledge that. This is not an instruction to blindly follow. Let me be very clear about that. This is not an instruction to, you have to do whatever church leaders say because they're church leaders. That's not what we believe here. Church leaders make mistakes. I do all the time. Already have today. Not perfect. This is, this is just an encouragement to honor and respect. And, and just be aware that, that there are people who are standing on the front lines for you and to remember them and to pray for them. Uh, I get a phone call or a text or a card or something at least once a week from one of you saying, I'm praying for you. Guys, that means so much. If, if you're one of those people who does that for me, thank you. That means so much to me. And I know the other pastors and, and leaders on our team get those as well. So I just want to say thank you for that. Um, and just to acknowledge that it makes a difference. So we need your prayers. So as, as we wrap up this conversation about finishing well and thinking about the legacy that we're leaving and, and then we've got all of these instructions, I just outlined 11. There were more than that in these. I mean, if you read through the chapters, you know this is not the whole scope of it. Like how, are we, how are we supposed to, pro, what are we supposed to do here? How are we supposed to process this and, and find some way to move forward um, in, a, in a healthy way? First, I, I, want, I want to remember again what this um, book is about, this book of Hebrews is about encouraging people to continue to move in the direction of Jesus-centered living despite the cost, despite the discomfort, despite the pain, despite the inconvenience. Keep following Jesus. I know it's hard. Keep doing it. Because he's, he's where it's at. He, he's where life is. He's, he's the one who can make broken things whole. And we have been invited into that the way that God brings healing and wholeness into the world is through his church, through his people. So I want to leave you with this question. What is something that you feel you ought to do, but you've been putting off? I know most of us have something like this we can point to. Something that we've, we feel like, yeah, I, should, I need to do that. But we've been putting it off. I need to, I, I need to go and seek forgiveness from somebody that I've hurt. Or I need to offer forgiveness to somebody who hurt me. I need to be more intentional about discipling my kids or my grandkids. Like I need to sit down with them and we need to read scripture and we need to pray together. That's been on your mind. I need to be more faithful to God and what I do with my private time. I need to make a change there. Like there's something I'm guessing for most of us that on our heart that we felt the nudge to do and we haven't done it. And we have good reasons, I'm sure. Reasons, aka excuses. Where we, I'm like, it's just a busy season right now and when it's not so busy, then I'll get to it. 
I'm just not in a good place or like, I don't know how this is gonna go if I try it and there's too much to risk and I'll get to it later. So here, here's what I wanna invite you to do. Let's exercise our imaginations and what, what, is, what is something that you feel like you ought to do that you've been putting off? Now I want you to imagine a future where you never get around to it. You, you get to the end and, and let's, let's say that there's by some, you know, miracle, you have this opportunity to reflect and you go, I never, I actually never got around to that. I know I was supposed to do that. And I never did it. That's, that's not a good way to, that's not a good way to finish out. I mean, there's, there's a lot of second guessing at that point about what could have happened if I had only been faithful and obedient and paid what later on is gonna seem like a small price. Now, let's, let's leave that negativity behind. We don't need that in our lives. And let's, let's imagine a future where we actually do it. Like we start today and we do the thing that the Holy Spirit has been nudging us to do. Maybe it's not something you can accomplish in a day, but you take a step today in that direction. You make a phone call. You send an email. You invite someone to a conversation where some healing needs to happen, where you... Make a plan to sit down with your friend, your loved one, your kids, to study scripture and pray together. Man, what, what, what would your future look like if you started today? Imagine that when you get to the end and you have this opportunity to reflect, which we don't always get, but let's pretend. And you go, I'm so glad. It actually wasn't as hard as I thought. It actually didn't hurt as much as I thought it would. I am so glad I took that step. I can see how God worked. But friends, our willingness to be humble and obey is not just about us. I say this all the time because it's something I, I want us to have deeply embedded in our hearts, that our obedience is not just about us. I said before that the way God is bringing the kingdom to earth is through the church, and that's you, and that's me. So when you and I obey the nudges that the Holy Spirit puts on our heart and we do hard things, we, we step into discomfort. We step into inconvenience. We even step into pain on purpose for the sake of someone else. That is God bringing his kingdom to earth. You get to be a part of that. It's, it's about more than just me and my personal salvation and where I go when I die. It's about how God is working out his plan to bring restoration and healing and wholeness to a world that is can we just agree, broken? So what is that thing that God has put on your heart? Would you stand? We're gonna close with a word of prayer. I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer with me. We're just gonna ask the Holy Spirit to show us what, it, what is the thing that, that we, we ought to do and we know we ought to do it and we've been putting it off. And, and we're gonna ask for the courage and the humility to, to start today. To start today. That, that we're gonna say no to the fear of the unknown. We're, we're gonna say no to the letting our calendars control us. We're, we're gonna say no to the desire to avoid inconvenience and discomfort. And we're just gonna obey. So we're gonna ask, what is it the thing that, that I need to do and give me the courage and humility to start today. Anybody else scared? It's a scary prayer. 
But this is what it looks like to focus on Jesus, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to hold on to Jesus and not let go. This is Jesus-centered living at its heart. God, tell me what to do, and I'll do it. This is where the good stuff is at. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus who showed us what it looks like to sprint to the end. He was so faithful and so obedient. He went through so much pain for the joy set before him. And I pray you would set that joy before me today, Father. God, show me what it is that you want me to do that I've been resisting, avoiding, neglecting, putting off. Convict my heart through your spirit and give me the courage and the humility to start today. Would you do that in me, Father? And and in my brothers and sisters who are here, because I believe that when a family like this lives in obedience, you will absolutely transform lives in our community and beyond. And we want to see that. Would you do that in us and through us today, Father? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for being here. It's just a joy to be with you. Um, Go in peace. Be salt and light in a world that needs Christ. Take a couple of invitation cards from the boxes by the doors and be praying about who you can invite next week. We'll see you.